This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. And on today's edition of the podcast, we are literally behind the curtain. My name is Jeff Kleeman. I'm the technical director at the LA Opera. I've been here since 1986, where I started as an intern. We're now standing stage right with the abduction sets downstage of us, ready to perform tomorrow night, and the Salome sets stored upstage of us in our uh, rear stage area, ready to take abductions place first thing Thursday morning. So you've got two productions now that you're you've got to sort of juggle um balancing uh you know putting putting sets for one opera back at the back of the stage while another one is is on stage for performance what is that uh, juggling act like well if you look around there's a few different elements that are the attributes of this work one is everything on the deck or the deck scenery. Much of it is rolling. Most things are on wheels. Some of it, this Alame deck probably weighs forty or 50,000 pounds. So although it's on wheels, we move it with a lot of manpower and tuggers or uh, electric um, like tow tractors to help move something that big. Uh, the other elements are those in the flies, which consist of drops, masking, soft goods, scenery, and of course the lighting for both shows. Each show has its own light plot of about a thousand lights designed by a specific designer for that production. Uh, so not a small task then? No, it's quite the puzzle. Uh, at the moment, we only have two operas on stage. We've had as many as five, and it's not unusual to have two or three. So we're used to it, but it is a puzzle. You have to do the right thing in the right order to get from one to the other and make your curtain time. <laughs> uh, well, tell me about, we're, we're talking about Salome um, in this podcast, uh, and this is a production that, as I understand it, was uh, here at LA Opera during its inaugural season. Is that correct? Correct. It was one of five or six productions in the inaugural season. I'm recalling five. Salome actually opened in rep with Otello. And, uh, so the very first production. The very then, yeah. first production. Otello was the opening night, yeah. but Salome was the next night. And it was in this production with these physical elements, scenery, uh, many of the props. The cast is entirely different. The director is different. The set designer passed away a great number of years ago. We have a new costume designer, which is not abnormal, and a lot of new elements because it is 31 years later, including all digital video media in place of the slide projectors. Is that typical uh, for a production to have a, a life of many, many decades? It is typical. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the Madame Butterfly we rented in 86 that was in rep with these productions was a 1966 production by Ming Cho Lee. And um, how do you uh, sort of, um, I guess, uh, keep the sets and keep all the props and stuff uh, from just normal wear and tear? Is there some sort of restoration process that's involved? There's a lot of restoration. We store all of our scenery and props in shipping containers, 40-foot overseas containers. We have about 330 of them in a yard in Carson, not too far from the port. Shows store there for decades. They also travel the world that way. 
And in this case, as with many of those productions, the wear and tear on scenery is significant, not only from the trucking and storage, but also the handling. Every time you bring it in or take it out, you either have to put thousands of pieces together or take them apart. And you have to do it very quickly, too. So wear and tear is a normal part of our operation. And I can show you what we're doing on Salome, which is pretty much a complete restoration to bring it back to its original luster. Yeah, let's do it. So we're walking uh, to the middle of the stage uh, into this, <laughs> what did you call the, the platform here that's on wheels? It's a rake stage yeah, or a show deck. Deck, that's right. That's the word that was new to me. All right, so now we have reached uh, the center of this, this stage. So basically this floor is already looking 90% better than it did a week ago when we took it off the trucks for the first time, where the wear and tear and scratches, the surface damage and the edge damage was so significant that if you were to look at this a week ago, you would almost have a hard time discerning the design and the pattern of the floor as intended through all the scratches, damage, and wear and tear. So right now you can see indications on the edges of where we've actually bondoed and filled physical damage. We've replaced wood in some cases where the damage was significant. And the painters are now in the middle of two days of nothing but paint calls to get all of that back up to its original luster, including not only each of the base colors, of which there are quite a few, but then all of the graphic detail that has also been obscured by damage. Mm. Mm. Can you sort of describe the look of of what we're looking at? Yeah, we're standing on the rear stage now with uh, basically a 50-foot deep by 80-foot wide show floor. That floor or deck is comprised of stock systems underneath the visual treatment, which is uh, steel dollies with casters, then telescoping trusses that go to different heights to give us different raked angles for the floor, Raker box platforms on top of that, which are big, thick, uh, heavy wood deck-like slabs as big as 6 by 16 feet. Those compose into the shape of the show floor, specials around the edges of it to create the curves and contours, and then on top of it is the finished painted show floor itself, which is what we see when we look at it. And in the middle of the stage here, there's this, uh, this sort of circular platform with some stairs leading up to it. Otherwise known as the cistern in Salome, where, of course, John the Baptist is kept uh, captive and eventually executed. Uh, most people probably know that, so it's hopefully not a spoiler. <laughs> no worries. Um, and then on stage left, a palace door. And the mirrors you see are just part of the look. Instead of black masking on the sides, there's mirrored masking. So what happens when this is on stage, there's a rear projection screen, the curved piece in the air. That comes down the back of the set. It's filled with new media, all video projections that are being created downstairs as we speak. And what you see from the front is this vast deck, the cistern and steps, the palace door stage left, and then these mirror walls left and right that really just carry the look of the rear projection screen to the viewer's uh, point of view. I have to ask about the head. Um, is that the, like one of your um, strangest 
I guess opera has all sorts of strange props, but um, this one has a decapitated head. It does. And, you know, a lot of what we do in our world, and we refer to it as opera-centric, because it's not like theater, and it's not like rock and roll, and it's not like musicals, and it's not like plays, and it's not like concerts. It's kind of like everything mashed into one. Um, So opera-centric is one word for it. I like to refer to it as extreme sports opera nowadays because we really have to raise the spectacle to compete with the rest of the entertainment world. But the head is a peculiar prop, um, not only in its specificity to the production because it has to match the singer cast for that role, It has done that in the past. Of course, we don't have the same John the Baptist as we had 31 years ago. So this all started with um, a wet clay sculpt uh, created by a sculptor from likenesses of the singer, photographic and video likenesses. That sculpt was then used to form a durable mold. Once that durable mold was created and the clay was extricated from the mold, we used that mold and have now produced four versions of basically um, a cast version of the head, but it's poured in two different densities of silicone to satisfy the action need. So it's not only how it looks, but this head has to do a variety of things from standing on its cutoff neck, standing on the back of its head, laying on its side, the mouth experiences a passionate embrace from Salome, much anticipated. (laughs) And then the hair, which is attached to that silicone head, again in the likeness of the John the Baptist singer, has to sustain Salome dragging it around by the hair before she drops it on the floor. So it has to satisfy a lot of criteria in the action as well as the aesthetic. So here's one of our prototype Uh, molded John the Baptist heads from the likeness of uh, the singer. We've added these things that we're calling kickstands because there was a desire in the rehearsal upstairs that when it's set on the back of its head, it doesn't roll. The suggestion was to cut a flat spot on the back of the head, but of course we want it to look proper. There is an intense desire for it to look real and proper, so that was not the solution we took. And with the long hair wig that gets draped on it, we figured we'd be better off hiding things like these quote-unquote kickstands, which are semi-round wooden spheres about an inch in diameter that we've actually attached to the back of the head so that it doesn't roll around when you set it for example. The other thing was that the neck had to be flat enough to stand up, so although a decapitated head might not normally be subject (laughs) to these attributes, ours is. And then again, um, when we were originally dropping it, actually Patricia Reset, the Salome, was originally dropping it in rehearsal upstairs, it would bounce back up two or three feet, getting much the laugh, which is not the desired effect. So we took and hollowed out what had been a solid pour, it deadens that action and doesn't bounce back up into your hands. That's a good thud. (laughs) Indeed. I'm thinking of the television show uh, that was on for many years, Mythbusters, and all of the 
things that uh, the hosts of that program had to had to build and trial and error and many failures and uh, finally you come up with the thing that that um, serves the purpose for what for what they're doing I imagine there's a lot of uh, similarity there for for what you're doing oh yeah absolutely um, direct similarity much of what we do is experimental an enormous amount of invention um, our goal and, and our job here is to not say no, but to actually find a way to support the artists hired and what they want to do. And this company has become notable worldwide for our ability to say yes and accomplish those visions and not, on the contrary, say no or slow down that uh, ambition. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you came to the company as an intern, um, and you've been you've been with the company since the beginning. I have. What are some of your favorite moments, favorite productions over the years? Well, I'm very proud of this company, and I think they do amazing work. I'm not the only one that thinks that. I find it to be ambitious and adventurous and, in that way, incredibly exciting. Um, we don't do a lot of standard fare. We mix it up well with experimental works and new works. And so a lot of the reward is uh, literally going from one adventure to another, um, very different day to day, and with teams of of artistic uh, directors and designers from all over the world and all genres who come to play in our universe here. So one of the most exciting things for me is supporting those different visions. And sometimes it's a different vision every day or every other day when you get different teams on different productions from different parts of the world. We actually have to shift our, our thinking culturally as well because if these folks are coming from Germany or, or from Spain or from here in North America, the practices that they're accustomed to in their own opera house are going to be significantly different. So rather than trying to adjust them to the L.A. opera way of doing things, we try to adapt to what they're accustomed to doing and give them what they are looking for in their native culture. Still get nervous before shows? Uh, Oh, definitely. You know, there's a lot that goes into this for all of us. We're all on the edge of our seats as much as the audience is. They don't know what's coming, so their, you know, suspense is built for that. But for us, unfortunately, we do know what's coming, and that may be hundreds of of things or thousands of things in a three-hour period that we get nervous about. So um, I think it's nearly indescribable the level of nervousness that goes into... Especially an opening night where it's the first time the public is going to view it and what will work, what won't work. Hopefully it all works. And when it doesn't work, hopefully the folks on stage are nimble enough to uh, seamlessly progress to the next moment and not raise attention to whatever the gap was. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Jeff Kleeman is the technical director of Los Angeles Opera. He's responsible for making sure all of the special effects come off without a hitch in every single performance of Los Angeles Opera. Salome by Richard Strauss stars Patricia Rasset as Salome and Thomas Thomason as John the Baptist. Runs from Saturday, February 18th through Sunday, March 19th at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. 
More information is available at laopera.com. This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. <laughs>